I don't recall if I have ever told you this or not, but um, I respond to uh, your reactions to worship. And uh, I want to tell you this morning in particular, y'all have been edifying me and y'all have never really realized it. I have just been encouraged by seeing the countenance on your face during our time of worship through music this morning. And I just want to let you know I appreciate that. And uh, helps us certainly to get off on a really good footing when we get into the Word of God this morning. This this morning is going to be a an overflow of my heart. It really is. I um, in as much as I would like to attempt just to preach this message and and you know just not even get into the Word of God to read it. I feel like I just have it imprinted on my heart so much. I don't want to attempt to do that because uh, I, I may keep going off on rabbit trails. But this morning's message is so. Uh, it means a lot to me because I believe I'm going to paint a picture. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be painting a picture of where I have been many times in my life. And I believe the picture that I'm going to paint is going to be somewhat familiar to you as well. Uh, the this series is called Signs of a Disciple. What are those road markers? What are those, what are those things that we can encounter uh, along life's highway that can draw us closer to the Lord and help us to live more like Him? Last week I gave kind of an introduction uh, on this matter, and today we're going to kind of go into our, our first sign, as it were. You remember last week I talked about that this, there's a crossroads where all of our lives will intersect where we, where we take our brokenness and we're going to have an intersection where we meet and have a radical encounter with God at the intersection of our holy, uh, at our brokenness and God's holiness. And when that happens, our lives are transformed. But in that transformation, it doesn't always mean that things will go well. How I wish I could promise new converts and new believers in Jesus that when you get saved, that everything in your life is going to be great from here on in. But I'm telling you, that is not the case, is it? It almost as if we just draw a big old target on ourselves and, and invite attacks more from Satan. And so today I think we're going to be starting off on what I believe will be the most important sign that we can encounter in our walk with God, and it's the yield sign, yielding to the Holy Spirit. I've got two different directions here that I'm going to have to go almost simultaneously, but I believe you're going to be able to stay with me and follow. So let me begin the first kind of stream of thought by giving you a story. Family was getting ready to go on their vacation, their annual vacation. They had planned out everything meticulously, and but yet they, they still allotted for, for times of, you know, just doing stuff spontaneously. They had their bags packed. It was loaded in the car. Um, oil was checked and, and everything's good. Hotel reservations were made. They were ready. They had their tickets to the, to the events that they were going to be doing. So they set off and they began driving for the first hundred, couple of hundred miles. Things were going great on their family vacation. Then a light came on on the dashboard. Oh no. Uh, husband was driving. He was like, well, it seems like it's okay. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep driving. I'm going to keep driving. And then he started hearing a noise from under the hood. He was like, oh no, this is not good. He pulled over, stopped, was able to navigate that whole thing safely. And their car was messed up. They could not go one more inch until their vehicle was fixed. Well, long story short, they secured 
the services of a mechanic. And it just so happened, thankfully, the mechanic had the right part and was able to fix it right there beside the road. They turned the key, engine fired up. It sounded great. The warning lights went off. It was purring like a kitten. And then that's when it happened. An argument broke out between the parents. You see, one of the parents said, you know what we need to do? We need to go back home and we need to start this trip all over from scratch. We've gotten off to bed. We just, we just need to go back home and just start this thing over. Other parents said, no, we, no, the car's running fine. We're, we're just a few hours behind schedule. Let's just pick up right where we left off. And, and, we, can, and we can make this thing. We can make it work. Now, a lot of us in our walk with God are kind of like that family. We have been following the Lord and things have been going great. But maybe there's something in our life that's throwing up a warning flag, a, a, a yellow flag, something for us to be cautious over, but we've ignored it. We didn't do what we needed to do in response over it. And then all of a sudden our lives are broken down around us. And, and maybe it's because we have forgotten to know what it's like to yield to the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've forgotten what it was like to hear the voice of God in our lives. And we ignored all those warning signs of that happening. And now we're sitting beside the road, spiritually speaking, and we're broken. But Jesus, the mechanic, comes in. I can promise you he will always have the right part to fix your problems in life. And he will put you on the right path. And now the question is, do we have to start all over from scratch? Or can we keep on keeping on? I'm going to argue that there's no need to have to go back to square one per se. You can pick right back up and start where you left off. That's what I believe the power of forgiveness is for. Now, surely there's some things that we have to pay attention to, like, you know, for, for an addict. Yes, there's going to have to be some portions of that person's life, of the addict's life, that you're going to have to kind of go back and, and, and kind of start all over again. Yes, there's some times when portions of your life may have to require kind of stepping back a little bit and, and restarting some things properly. But God's forgiveness is so great and so powerful, so majestic, that when He has entered back into our lives and He has fixed what was broken, we can keep moving on. We can. The problem is, how do we do it? I'm going to tell you, that's not always easy. It, matter of fact, I don't know if there's ever an easy part to it. But there are some things that the Word of God will give us that will help us to listen and respond better. It's kind of like that, you know, it, it, like yesterday. Uh, can I tell you something really cool? My mom and dad have, have found technology. And it is awesome. So here's, here's the deal, guys. Um, I am working on a restoration project, okay? Now, I'm not like that dude on the, on the History Channel. You know, I'm not as good as he is, but I, I'm working on a restoration project. Here's what I, I am restoring, a 1976 Sears Custom Farm Tractor that belonged to my granddaddy. He bought it brand new in 1976. I've got the original owner's manual. I've got the original sales receipt that my granddaddy bought when they it used to handwrite sales receipts. I don't know if you remember that. It was a handwritten sales receipt. I even have a listing, guys, you'll appreciate that. I've got a listing of the paint colors that they used to paint this, this thing. And so yesterday I'm working on it and I've got issues with the starter and I needed my dad's help. You know, it's just got to call up pop. And, uh, and so, uh, I called him up. He was on the road. I said, well, dad, when you get home, I want you to get the iPhone and FaceTime me. 
because my intent was to show him the problem and for him to diagnose it, right? Well, he got home, we got connected, and we had the video going, and I, I turned the key, I showed him how the starter was working and what it was supposed to be doing, and he gave me some, some tips and, and, and whatever. He, he gave me a solution. But, you know, with our Heavenly Father, that's what it's like. It, it's, it's like, you know, almost like the greatest technology ever, the blood of Jesus, you know, because it just, it just does it, right? And I'm going to tell you, I'm not mentioning the blood of Jesus and forgiveness just as, as a passe, just token response. I'm telling you, forgiveness of Jesus that was offered through God has everything to do with the way that we're going to navigate listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you in the Word of God that this is so true. Because that's where it begins. We have to know where we are in Christ. That's why I read the passage from Ephesians. Guys, you were bought with a price if you were in Jesus. And I'm telling you, the evidence that you have to support, to show that you were bought with a price is that God gave you a gift. And that gift was the Holy Spirit. That is not some magical union that you have to wait some time after you're saved. No, I believe the Bible teaches that the moment that you receive redemption from God through the blood of Jesus, you are automatically given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So how do we listen? How do we navigate that whole thing of knowing and how to respond to God through the Holy Spirit? Well, there are so many texts of Scripture that I, 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 it's hard to kind of narrow down one. I'm going to kind of take you on a journey through, 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 through many texts of Scripture to, to show you some doctrine that the Bible is, is, is teaching us. And so for that matter, what I want to do is just to pray over this sermon and, and, and that God will uh, anoint this time for us together, okay? Let, let's do this before we get uh, started even, even more. Let us pray together. Father, uh, Lord, we come before you. We're admitting to you... Uh, uh, all of our weaknesses and, and, and all the things that that have uh, held us back. Lord, we, we know that we're not perfect people. We know that sometimes we miss hearing your voice. We know that we miss hearing uh, not just your voice, but your direction and our response. Father, may today's sermon and, and may the text of Scripture embed themselves into our heart so that we can know and respond better to, to, to what you have for our lives. God, you have the best life planned for us. We must yield to your directions. God, it's not always easy. It may cost us some things at times. But, Father, we promise, Lord, we, we want to give you our, our attention. Lord, we, you have it 100% undivided attention. Lord, may you speak this morning for we may hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you, I'm going to just give you two main points and kind of build them up. Uh, you have them hopefully in, in, in an outline form uh, there in, in your, in your, in your uh, bulletin there. Let me start by kind of defining a, a couple of things. Number one is the word yield. What do I mean by yielding? Well, it's just like yielding uh, at, a, at a traffic intersection. Yielding really means that you are, you're in the process of recognizing that your current path is subject to the path of someone else. That someone else is going to be the person of the Holy Spirit. It recognizes by yielding that sometimes, that sometimes you ain't going to be doing it right if you keep on the way you're going. And you're going to have to let someone else come first. That's what we're going to mean by yielding. Yielding to who? The Holy Spirit. What do I mean by the Holy Spirit? I'm talking about the third person of the Trinity. The third person, you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one essence and three distinct persons. They are all co-equal, co-powerful, co-existing. They've always been and always will be. So that is the Holy Spirit. And it is a he. It's not an it. It's not a thing. It is a he. 
because it is God. So it is yielding to the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the first thing. Number one, yielding requires us to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about necessarily audible hearing like you are hearing me. Let's look at a text of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19. You've got a Elijah the prophet and he, and, uh, he just had his, an encounter with Jezebel in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. But listen to what the Lord has to say to, to uh, Elijah the prophet right after this encounter. It begins in verse 9. Just listen, listen very closely. There, came, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. In other words, they're wanting to kill him. And he said, go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Great and strong wind tore the mountains and broken in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not even in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Why would he do that? Because that was God speaking. In our life, we can have some very majestic moments of God in our life. We can have the earthquake moments and and we can feel like we are on fire for God. But just because those major things are happening, it can still, listen, we can still get confused over what we're listening to and and who is actually speaking. I don't, and, and that's why I encourage you because I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in emotional encounters with God. You know, when we were doing the story, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm in my little perch right here, uh, d- d- down here by the, by the stage. Cause I'm uh, part of the, the, the speaker people. And, and I could see people emotionally responding to what was going on on stage, but guys, emotions come and go. We can get emotional over a lot of things. I've cried in my lifetime. I have shed tears over many things. I've shed tears because of being in rebellion against God. I have shed tears because I have just been overcome with joy. I've shed tears when, when, uh, when I've had tremendous grief over the loss of a loved one. I even cried when Dale Earnhardt died. I was emotional in all of those cases, but you can, you, you can agree with me that there's a difference between those times, aren't there? And I'm not crying now, am I? My emotional state is way different. You see, our emotions, our emotions changed maybe hundreds of times, even in the course of a week. So it's not the emotional highs that you can really depend upon. That, that comes and goes. Sometimes the voice of God comes in that low whisper. It comes in that moment when you're really not expecting him to speak. So what do we do? Letter A, we have to turn off the competing voices. We have to turn off the voices that, that, that are trying to tell us something that are not jiving with God. 
And some of those sources may be our closest friends, neighbors, relatives, or coworkers. It could be folks very close to us that we would really consider our friends. But if they, if what they are saying doesn't line up with the word of God, that's going to be a competing voice. And I'm not going to hear the right way to go. I'm not going to hear God moving and speaking in my life. If I'm paying attention to, to the to the circumstances that are leading me away from God. I've got to turn them off. And it can be, you know, they're screaming for our attention sometimes. And this is just my personal, my personal experience. I have found sometimes that, that the competing voices, the, the worst ones, are the ones that are 100% in agreement with my perspective on something. You follow me? Well, when they, when, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, that person, yeah, they did it wrong. They, they did it. No, no, no. If they're in a hundred percent agreement and I am wrong, they are automatically wrong too. You see, that's why it's good to have people who are against you from time to time in your life, not to be your enemy, but to challenge you, to build you, to strengthen you. You not only have to turn off competing voices, you have to turn off the voices of the world. That's kind of dovetails very, very nicely. In in 1 John chapter 4, verse uh, verse, uh, 3 through 6, listen to this text. And and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is a spirit of the Antichrist. Now, little a, meaning that's a spirit of one who's against the things of Jesus. Which you heard was coming from uh, coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Listen, for he is in for he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me stop right here and say the world can threaten me all they want to. They don't want a piece of what's in my heart, though. They don't want a piece of my God because greater is he that is in me than anything in this world. You can come after me all you want to. You're not dealing with me, though. You're dealing with Almighty God. That's the, that's, that's the power in my life. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And I'm going to tell you where we get that from. Right here. Okay? Let me go ahead and tell you, if you really want to hear the voice of God audibly, go home after this sermon and read the Bible out loud. And you'll hear the word of God. Okay? But that's how we know. That's one of those safety measures. That's where we're able to check with one another. Because sometimes I may miss a really big valid point or principle that I need to be applying in my life. And I may have forgotten it. Not that I didn't know about it or not that I'm intentionally trying to move away from it. Maybe it's just not coming to mind right now. But it may be on your mind. And I'm going to need what you know about God's word in that moment to speak it into my life. But if we listen to the world, the world doesn't have the word of God on their heart. I, you know, I'm all for um, Ten Commandments on the school walls. I'm all for that kind of stuff. But Ten Commandments on a school wall is secondary to Jesus Christ in that person's heart to begin with. Ten Commandments don't necessarily change anything when there's not a Christ to go along with it. 
So we have to turn off those voices of the Lord because sometimes they can articulate morality. We talked about how that can get get you into trouble last week. It's not all the morality you know. Morality is just not enough in God's God's economy. You're going to have to turn off the voices of the world. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says we are not to be deceived because by by this empty tradition and, and these philosophies of the world because they will actually take us prisoner. They will hold us captive. And some of us feel like we are in our own prison bars and walls of, of bad decisions. Maybe it's because we've been listening to the world's opinion of our life circumstances and not God's opinion. Or the, the, the opinion uh, you know, from brothers and sisters in Christ who care about the truth of the word of God. We also have to turn off the voice of our will. The voice of our will. A very interesting text is found in the book of Romans chapter 7. And, and uh, interesting in the point because we get to see a struggle in Paul's heart. L- listen to what he says here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That sounds like 99.95% of all of us in here, right? We know what we ought to do. We just, it's our ability. Our flesh overcomes the strength of the spirit in us at that time. And we give in to what we shouldn't be doing. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul was saying. That broader text there in that paragraph, he says, I don't understand it for the things that I don't want to do. Those are the things that I wind up doing. And the things that I know that I'm supposed to do, those are the things I don't do. I don't get it. You know, not that it's any excuse, but at that point, after reading that text, every single time I just go like that. Cause I'm like, dude, if Paul was having a hard time with it, then I know I must be in some good company because I'm there too. You are there too. You, you, we've all been there. Romans chapter eight, verse, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you'll live. So we're going to have to learn that the gospel is what it says it is. And crucify, listen, is what Paul said in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I've crucified myself. The life that I live, I no longer live to myself. I live because of Jesus that's in me. I live because of the power of the cross and the power of Christ in me. That's how I'm able to live. We can't live according to our own will. So that's how we turn off the competing voices. We have to let her be. We also, uh, to hear the Holy Spirit, by tuning into His voice. By tuning into His voice. Let me give you five words in one little sentence here. And I've given you a bunch of passages of Scripture. You can look those up and, and they correlate each to those blanks that you're getting ready to fill in. You ready for it? Here it is. Tune in to the voice of the Spirit by being attentive. Okay, You know what being attentive is? It means you can't fall asleep in class. Can't fall asleep in church either. Okay? Thank you. Being still, for some of us, that's hard. I am as ADD as it gets. I am, yeah. Being still has become, at least in, in this phase of my life, has become, has turned from a joking matter to a serious matter. Because I know that by not being still, when I need to be still, I'm missing something. I need to be waiting and being patient on the Lord and wait for Him to move. 
And that was your, that was your third word, by being patient, being in his word, and also in his church. Tuning in to the voice of the Spirit. Listen, it's not a difficult assignment, but it comes with responsibilities. You've got to pay attention and realize that not everything in this world is good. Not everybody who comes to you has the best intentions. You're going to have to learn it sometimes to, to stay seated a little bit longer, to be silent a little bit longer, to learn how to be still, to be patient on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, I've got that text in there. Isaiah chapter um, 49 through 31, I put in actually the whole phrase there, but, or the, 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 uh, uh, the, the paragraph. But you remember, those who wait upon the Lord will mount up as wings, as eagles, right? I mean, that's what being patient on the Lord will do, but, and, but you've got to be in His Word. I'm telling you, I appreciate your presence here on a Sunday morning. It is one of, one of the most humbling things to be able to preach to a congregation. To even think that you would want to carve out time and listen to a guy like me is very, very humbling. But if you're using this as your only time in the Word of God, you are, you are shortchanging yourself. You've got to be in the Word of God yourself. I don't always articulate things as best as what they should. Sometimes I even make a mistake. But that's where you being in the Word of God is able to help overcome those times when I inadvertently slip up and misspeak a verse or you know, misspeak a person's name or, or misspeak a, a certain scenario or, or principle. You've got to be in His Word. But let me tell you something. You have to be in His church. I woke up this morning, Sunday morning, woke up this Sunday morning, and I'm going to tell you, it is, it is uh, uh, overwhelmingly more common than not. When I get out of bed and I start getting ready, I start getting anxious. I can't wait to be here. I can't wait to be here because I look forward to seeing your faces. I look forward to being in your company and in your presence. I, I look forward to hearing your stories of the week. I look forward for me to be able to talk about stuff going on in my life. And as much as, as, much as my ego would want to me to be elevated way up here and I'm the pastor, ha, 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 all that stuff, there's no way on God's green earth I could ever get away with that. Because at the end of the day, I'm just like you and you are just like me. We are in this together. And I can't go a week without being in the company of people who are in life the way that I am in life and, and enjoying life and struggling with life and all that stuff the way you are with me. And that's why I find it great anticipation on Sunday mornings just to be here. I have to be in his church. And I'm telling you, I'm absolutely telling you, this is the rule and not the exception. You look Listen to me. You look at the maturity and the walk of people who regularly forsake the attending of church and you will find that they will have greater pitfalls. You will find that they will struggle on things that you ain't struggling with. You will find a different spirit among people who will regularly and more easily reject and forsake corporate worship than those who don't. You will. 
I, I'll just, I'll go forth and I'll say this much. I, I see, I can actually see in, in people, and I've been in ministry a long time, and uh, Brother Bob, you've been in ministry a long time, and uh, I think we would be on the same page on this. The more someone is committed to the local church in terms of services attended, you will see an increase in their spiritual maturity. Being with the people of God makes a difference. So that's why tuning into the voice of the Spirit, it's not just one magical statement that I could give you. It's going to take all of these things. It's going to take all of them. Being attentive, being still, being patient, being in His Word, and being in church. All right, we've talked about hearing. Now let's talk about the next. It's, it's one thing to hear. Now my children will hear me. Does that automatically translate into obedience? The Lord have mercy, I wish. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Just because, let's just pretend that we, can, we got this stuff perfected. Let's just say we know how to tune out the voices of the world, our own will, and competing voices, and we know how to listen to God. It doesn't automatically mean that we're now going to be obedient. How do we heed the Holy Spirit? Yielding requires us to heed the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to yield, that is let the Holy Spirit take charge, and, and, and me to be able to follow, I've got to do something. It's not just listening to Him. So how does that, how does that work out? Well, let me give you uh, several, several ways to, to, to make that happen. Four, I believe, in particular. Number one, I've got to heed His warnings. When He says... Don't do this or be careful doing this. Guess what it means I've got to do? Don't do it or be careful doing it. All these texts that I have pointed out, uh, I guess it should be in your handout. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, verse 28, chapter 3, verse 6, 13, verse 22. All of those are, the, are, are really the same verse. It's, it's the same verse. I'm going to read you just, just one of them and, and, and you'll, get, you'll get what I'm talking about. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3, John was relaying God's message to the seven churches of Asia, uh, of Asia Minor. And in verse, uh, let me just give you one, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you've got an ear, and what he's meaning there, if it means I've got an ear, let me hear, that's it. No, no, he said, if you've got an ear and you've heard me, then do it. Because in each of those cases of those seven churches, he gave them instruction. He gave them something to do. And then he ends it with saying, listen to me. If you've got an ear, you better listen. You better listen. By listening, it means doing. So, so we've got to really heed the warnings, the things that he's telling us not to be a part of or not to do. And I'm telling you, when you go back to that sentence before, can you back it up one more, I think, to that sentence there? Uh, one more. Okay. Attentive, being still, being patient, uh, being in his word and being in his church. The more that we are that and are able to listen and, and, and know when God is speaking, we're going to know sometimes when that speaking of a sentence means to actually do something. For instance, I could tell Elijah, Elijah, is the trash can or is the trash in the trash basket in the kitchen, is it empty? Well, you would think the answer would be yes or no, but my son's translation means, oh no. He asked me to empty it and I didn't, <laughs> right? Sometimes his warnings may come, may be cloaked as a statement, but it's actually pointing back to something we're supposed to be doing. So yes, we need to heed the warnings. Number two, or letter B, we need to heed his leading. Heed his leading. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four and uh, verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. 
I have led you in the paths of a brightness. You see, the thing about the leading of the Holy Spirit is, is he will never lead us wrongly. He, he, it just, it's not in his calculations. It doesn't mean he, will, he won't ever lead us to something that will be costly. It doesn't mean he won't lead us to something that will, will, will cause pain. I'm just saying he will never lead you wrongly. And we've got to follow the leading. You won't know how to follow unless you know what you're following. You're not going to know how to follow unless you're able to listen to him and listen to his movements. That's the reason why it's so important. We teach my, at least for, for my children to respond when I call their name. Because what if I'm calling to warn them of danger? If they don't respond to my voice, then they could get hurt. So we've got to listen to his, his leading Two more things very quickly, and I'll be moving on. Let her see. We need to heed his convicting. And, um, you know, um, I just kind of, I just kind of, you know, had to stop here at this point. When it comes, when I hear that word conviction, I'm, I'm concerned about convictions. Personally, I'm concerned. I'm, I've, I've been concerned about convictions in a church. About convictions in people. I mean, what are those things that are really bothering us? Now, I believe we've really put the cart before the horse and we've really gotten some of these things out of line when we let relatively minor things you know, bother us. But yet we're letting major points of doctrine, major points of just living the Christian life, and we're throwing them out the window because of no or weakening convictions. I, I kind of want to go back to the church attendance thing. I, I am in no way going to try to convict you on this matter. I can't. That's just not my point but I know that there's some convictions I have about it. There's some convictions I have about being in God's word. There are convictions that I have about evangelism and missions. There are convictions that I have about things in a church. What can be tolerated and what should never be tolerated. Bible says, and, and I want you to look at these texts here with me. Look at First um, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Um, there are folks that it surprised me to watch their reactions to the truth of God's word. People even in the church. 
when, when, in, when, when presented with the Word of God on a particular matter and to see their reactions. It's been stunning at times. But the Word of God says that, that as we progress more and more to the day with that big D, you know, when we see the Lord's return, we're going to see more and more of this. I hate to say this, but I'm almost kind of wondering if the church will undergo a great apostasy. Well, the Bible kind of leans to maybe describing that there will be more people falling away the closer we get than there are coming in. Now, I hate to say that because I'm all about church growth. I'm all about evangelism, and we are going to be all about evangelism. I'm all about missions, and we're going to be about that too. That's just the command God gave us. But I have learned that people that sit in a Baptist pew doesn't always make them in line with the, with the Word of God. And there'll be people who will bust hell wide open that have spent decades on a Baptist pew. And I'm telling you, for us, I, I'm just urging you, tune back in to the work, to the Word, to the, to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and think about your convictions on various matters in your life. I've been surprised to hear. I've been in ministry since 1996, uh, uh, full-time on a paid staff since 2001. And to hear some things come out of a church member's mouth has just appalled me before. It really has. And it ought not, ought not to be that way. And all of us, every single one of us, I think on a regular basis, that check up from the neck up. God, are my convictions where they need to be? And I'm going to tell you something. You know who I want to have that conversation with more than anybody else? I'll have it with you. Because sometimes you'll see them before I will see them. And I'd pray to God that you would tell me the truth. All right, well, letter D. We need to heed his teaching. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will teach you, and, and my goodness, every day is like a classroom for me. You know, I, I, I mean, he teaches me about life. He teaches me about pastoring. He teaches me about loving. He teaches me about being a father and a husband. He teaches me all these things. Look down at, uh, we're in the same chapter, First Timothy, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you ever, have you ever thought about that the things that you did, the way that you react and respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit may impact somebody else? I'm telling you, your life is not lived in a vacuum. What you do, you have consequences, yes, but it also impacts other people. And... I'm going to be real here. This, that's just the guy I am, I guess. There are times when I have said no to temptation. Not because I didn't want to do it. Oh, I did. I wanted it real bad. But I thought about how would it impact someone if they found out? What would happen if, how would it hurt somebody if they found out? What if I got caught? And I've said, no, I, I can't do it. I, I, I just, I don't want anything in my life willingly done 
where it can have a negative impact on someone else. I don't want to do that. We've got to pay attention to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, He will teach you and show you. But, you know, um, there's problems that we'll encounter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two quick things to help you overcome the problems. Because right now, at the end of this sermon, you're probably like, okay, what do I do with this? Well, first of all, I want you to realize some truths about your life if you're in Christ. I want you to listen to me. In our, in our Connect small group, uh, my wife and I, we host a, a small group in our home. And, and this was a statement that was said in our, in our curriculum this past uh, Monday. Faith believes that Jesus did what he said he did when he finished the work of salvation on the cross and we embrace that as our own. Let me read it again. Faith believes that Jesus did what he said he did when he finished the work of salvation on the cross and we embrace that on our own. What does that mean for you? It mean, it goes back to the very beginning. It means that because you are in Christ, you don't have to start off at the beginning and get saved over again. You're in Christ. Your faith is believing that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for your life. He was a mechanic that will come in and fix it once and for all. Yes. And in an eternal sense, but he will come in again and again. Like first John one nine says, for if you, uh, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. That is, that is where your faith begins. So you don't have to keep stepping back at the beginning all the time. The Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit, allows the believer to work for the glory of God rather than ourselves. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're saying, okay, Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's not an I-centered, you know, I'm not at the center of my own universe. I am living for everyone else's good. Okay, I really am. You know, it starts with God, yes. But like I said a while ago, sometimes I'm going to resist temptation because I know how it would impact you and I want it to have a negative effect on you. So I would say, no, I know that that when I live my life, I'm living it for the glory of God and I want others to see an example. I want to be an example. But see, if we're used to doing it all all on our own, you're going to have trouble yielding to the Holy Spirit. You're going to have trouble. Let me give you an illustration and I'm done. My wife was traveling into town earlier this week and I was giving her some directions to kind of help her get from, you know, point A to point B. And I didn't tell her about this part. I didn't even think about it, but, but she came back and she said, I had kind of had a scary moment. I said, what was that? She said, well, I was on 295 and had to go from 295 to I-95. And when you go from 295 to I-95, uh, there's a yield sign. And there's not really a whole lot of space for you to make your decisions about what you're going to do. You just got to yield because the other traffic ain't going to stop. And, she's, and I said, well, were you worried about the other traffic? She says, no, I was worried about everybody else around me and behind me. I was worried about them. I said, well, honey, I said, I understand that. I said, but you know, if they crashed into you, that would be their fault, right? And you know, not yours per se, because you were yielding. You see, when we learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit, not everybody may respond appropriately to it because they may not be used to it. They may be used to doing things their own way and zipping through life and doing what they need to do and forget everybody else around them. But for us to yield, you got to be you got to be ready to just put the brakes on whatever it is you're doing and realize somebody else has to go for me or before me, excuse me. And you got to be able to look and recognize up oh, there it is. There's that car coming. 
I've been in the Word of God. I'm fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters. I'm at church. I've been patient. I've been still. I'm listening. There it is. I, Lord, I know where you wanted me to do now. God, I know your will for my life. I know what you need for me to do in this decision. Absent, Lord, lead on. And you put the brakes on. Yielding means you've got to let the Holy Spirit go first. But that is the problem for everybody else behind you. Because you've been zipping along too, and so have they. And they're not used to it. But that's going to be their problem. It's not going to be yours. And when it gets time for you to merge on, and you're following, there's a peace about it, isn't there? There's a peace that comes over me when I get off of an interstate because I've survived, right? But, but there's a peace when you've obeyed the instruction to yield. You've avoided an accident and a very ugly scene by recognizing the Lord. And you're letting him lead. You fell in behind him. And now you're off. And you know where you're going.